Wow, guys, welcome to New Life Church. So glad you guys are here today. My name is Jeff, and it is an honor to be here with you. Uh, it's an honor to be with everybody that's worshiping with us online at our North Platte campus and our Ogallala campus. Isn't it exciting to be able to worship Jesus Christ today? I mean, come on. Isn't it? Man, it's, I'm not just saying that. Like, I believe that, guys. I just want you to know that. Okay, I'm not just here trying to pump you up. Like, I don't, have my, I don't have my cheerleader skirt on today, all right? And you definitely don't want to see me in one. It's just, let's just, let's forget I even said that, okay? Just, just get that wiped out. Just wipe that right out. Just wipe it right out. Wipe it right out. Hey, well, I got incredible news for you. Okay, last Sunday... Uh, Pastor Dave was here uh, teaching here at our Kearney campus and was broadcast to the North Platte campus. Pastor Dave, though, uh, on Tuesday, am I right about that? Tuesday night, wasn't it? Yeah. Tuesday night, Pastor Dave became ordained Pastor Dave, all right? Taking it up a notch. Come on. Right on. The credentialing in the Assemblies of God, the uh, organization that we fellowship with, is a certified minister, a licensed minister. Then you have to be that for two years um, and, and really show trustworthy ministry and then have a position that's worthy of the title of ordination. And Dave fits all of those things. And we're so proud of Pastor Dave uh, out at our North Platte campus doing a fantastic job. I think he did a wonderful job here conquering the, the very difficult topic that I gave him, the conspiracy of sin, right? And to do it in such an encouraging way. I went back and watched the message. It was wonderful. Uh, but Dave was here and was being broadcast online in the North Platte, but not to Ogallala. And that's because I was in Ogallala, all right, with Pastor Chris and a few of our deacons. And we were out there installing our brand new campus pastor, Wes and Kim Harmon. They're brand new. This is their very first Sunday to run it all by themselves. And I want to tell you what I felt like God told me when he called me to New Life to be the lead pastor. Hey, Jeff, it's a healthy church. Don't screw it up. All right. That's what I feel like God told me. I'm just passing on the wisdom I felt like the Holy Spirit told me. All right. So there you go. That's it right there. How do you like that? I hope you like it. I said it. Um, we're in this conspiracy theory series right now. How many of you guys have heard recently about different conspiracy theories? Have you guys heard? How many of you guys have heard or read about a conspiracy theory? I'd just say within the last 30 days. You heard about one. Of course. I, was, I went through and tried to do some recent searching, like within the past, you know, 30, 60, kind of, maybe almost to 90 days. Just give me some. Some headliners from newspapers around the world that deal with conspiracies. And guys, there, there was a laundry list of them. I, I just picked like six of them. Check, check these out. You're living in the golden age of conspiracy theories. How the coronavirus pandemic primed America for a new pandemic of misinformation. Man, I, this is an incredibly accurate headline. This is exactly where we're living today, right now. Uh, check this one out. Trump alleges that Biden controlled right, by people in dark shadows. Yeah, and then, and then Laura Ingram says, that sounds like a conspiracy theory. So there's another one. Here, here check this one out, right here. Uh, new forms of terrorism inspired by conspiracy theories may emerge after pandemic, warns EU counter-terror chief. Wow, that doesn't sound very encouraging, does it? Uh, not at all. How about this one? The rise and spread of a 5G coronavirus conspiracy theory. I didn't even know that one existed. 
How many of you guys have heard about that conspiracy theory? Anybody? I mean, man, 5G, well, thank the Lord. That means that we, should, we shouldn't have any coronavirus cases here in Kearney, North Plata, Rogalala. Because <laughs> we don't have 5G. All right. Here's the last one. Conspiracy theories run rampant when people feel helpless, like now. It's one of the reasons why I felt like the timing of this series was so important to bring right now is that in this time where people feel helpless, in this time where it seems like the foundation of life is being ripped away, you could potentially be the most vulnerable not to believe these conspiracy theories, but to bite in on the most important ones, which is the ones that you know, Satan is trying to deceive the church on based on who God is and what his word says. So today, we're not talking about conspiracies like UFOs. We're not talking about conspiracies like Bigfoot. We're not talking about ones like secret world powers or orders or government cover-ups or even conspiracies of viruses. What in the world? Okay, dude, what are you, what are you doing, man? What? Bigfoot, hey, welcome Bigfoot to New Life. You guys, welcome Bigfoot to New Life. Come on. Yeah. What are you, what are you hiding back there for? I don't like to be seen by people. <laughs> you don't like to be seen by people. Well, look, come out of the shadows. Come into the light, my friend. Come into the light. It's good to have you at New Life. Well, thank you. Let me do my hair for you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, like a little faux hawk. Yeah, you like that? You like, you like the shirt I'm wearing today? You look very handsome. Yeah, it's got little Bigfoots on it, by the way. Yeah, it's got little Bigfoots on it. So, dude, we're doing conspiracy theory, but we're telling people we're not talking about things like you. So what are you up to? I'm trying to find my cat. <laughs> You're trying to find, you lost your cat. Yeah, Smallfoot. Smallfoot. <laughs> small, smallfoot the cat. Oh, okay. All right, I get it. So if you guys see a cat, you want them to like, bring it to you where? Like in the lobby or something? Please. Okay, in the lobby. All right, here at the Carney campus. Uh, right, so like, okay, so you're looking for a cat. We don't even really believe that you exist, so tell us, like, where are you from? Well, you know my, my cousin Chewbacca. Yeah, your cousin Chewbacca. Yeah. Yeah, so. I mean, there's this conspiracy theory that, you know, that we fly around, you know, I fly the UFOs. You fly the UFOs. And so I heard my buddy was here a couple weeks ago. From Area 51. Area 51, right. so right. they caught me too. <laughs> so, so you were at Area 51, and they let you go as well. Yeah, because Steve, he got the coronavirus. <laughs> Steve got the coronavirus. Of, of course, of course. All right, that's awesome. Man, you, uh, you got some fancy toenails there. I got to say it. Yeah, okay. I just wish the buckle would offer bigger shoes. <laughs> really? Just, yeah, yeah. They don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, literally, if you get some jeans, then you don't have to go around naked either, right? I, I know. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, look, we got to get on with this message, but I would like to take a picture with you. Okay. Can I get a picture with you? I don't really like to do pictures with people, but I'll do my famous pose. Okay. Right, like you're, walk, like you're walking away from me, and then look right into that camera. All right, there you go. Now get out of here. Come on. Oh, man. We're going to have to get a whole new staff, guys, that haven't been former youth pastors or former children's pastors that are all trying to be lead pastors, uh, right? We're just going to have to get some different ones. Because today, today, we've got a hard topic, all right? Um, these next two weeks in this series are some difficult topics. I would say today is probably the most difficult one out of the entire series. Today, I want to talk to you about something really serious. 
It's a conspiracy that the enemy's been stirring since the beginning of time. It's the conspiracy of hell itself. Hell. Yeah. I know when I, when I wrote this series back in October, <clears throat> and I felt like the Lord was like, yeah, I want you to preach on that. I was like, seriously? Like, how am I going to, a whole message on hell? Like, oh, maybe a point, God. Right? But a whole message on, how, how is it going to be encouraging? Like, what, what, what in the world are we going to do? And it's almost like God just said to me, look, all of my word is encouraging. And I go, okay, I'll go there. Since the beginning of time, Satan has been stirring up this conspiracy of hell. You, you've heard the conspiracy come out of the mouths of your friends, by the way. They may have said things like this, hell, hell isn't an internal punishment. Hell is a party, and I'll see you at the party. Maybe you've heard people say those statements, like I've heard people say those statements. Or, you know, there isn't a hell, right? Everyone goes to heaven. Maybe you've heard statements like that. Or, how could a loving God send anyone to hell? Have you ever heard that? That's all coming from this conspiracy that hell doesn't exist. Um, how about this one? I've heard this one sadly from too many people. I'm too far gone, Jeff. Or I'm too far gone. Don't try to share that Jesus stuff with me. I'm too far gone. My destiny is hell. It's like I believe in it, and that's where I'm going. That's hard for me to wrap my head around. Or the last one is this. There, there isn't a hell, right? There isn't anything after this life, by the way. There isn't a hell, and there isn't a heaven. Next week, we're going to talk about that. The conspiracy of life after death. Right? I believe this, though, that the greatest lie Satan has ever told humanity, and he's been telling it from the beginning of time, is this, I don't exist. That's the greatest lie that Satan's ever told. And when he tells that lie, then he's able to drive home the point, hell doesn't exist. And we like that as humans, because we don't like to think about punishment for our actions. We like to think that we can just do what we want to do, when we want to do it, how we want to do it, and get away with what we're doing, and that in the end, there will be no punishment. We all spend eternity with, in, with God in heaven. But I want to tell you this. If your hope is in heaven, as sure as heaven is real, hell is a real place. And one of the ways I want to help you understand that today is I want to truly give you today, how about this? What if I were able to give you God's heart on hell? I think it would change your heart, by the way. If you could truly capture what God's heart is for hell, it will transform the way that you see it. It will transform the way that you, you understand why God would even create a place called hell. Right? But you got to understand what God's heart is. So if I walked around with a microphone today and I walked into your house or into North Platte or here at Kearney and I said, okay, why? What is God's heart towards hell? And many people would instantaneously knee-jerk to this response, well, hell is a place where, you know, God sends people who, you know, disobey him, who don't love him, who don't follow him, who don't call Jesus Christ the Lord and leader. It instantaneously, hell becomes a punishment to humanity. But I want you to see what God's true heart is towards hell. Watch this. Hang on with me, okay? Matthew 25, verse 41. Then the king will turn to those on the left and he will say these words. All right, away. By the way, these are Jesus' words, by the way. Jesus' words. Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal flames prepared for who? Say it with me. The devil and his demons. All right, one more time. Jesus is saying this, right? And he's going, look, at the final judgment of mankind, when there isn't anywhere else for man to go, it's heaven or it's hell, the Father will say, away with you, you cursed ones, not blessed, cursed. It's like, I never meant this for you, but you are cursed. You cursed ones into the eternal flames, prepared for, one more time, say it with me, 
the devil and his demons. Did you guys realize that the very first thing you need to understand about God's heart towards hell is that it wasn't created for you, it was created for the devil, Satan, and his demons? Just think about that for a moment. Just let it soak in for a moment. That when God and all of his infinite wisdom created all things, heaven, hell, stars, universes, the galaxy, and things beyond what you and me even know right now, yet to be discovered, that when God created hell, he wasn't thinking about you. He was thinking about a place for eternity that Satan, who had deceived many angels and had been cast out of heaven, would be a place for him to spend eternity. The first thing you need to know about God is that God created hell for Satan and the demons. Secondly then, right, follow the logic, secondly about God's heart is this, that God doesn't want anyone to experience the torment of hell. Not a single person. Because it wasn't created for you. It wasn't designed specifically with your name on it. It wasn't designed like medieval torture, you know, to torture humanity. It was designed for someone else, not you. That means that God doesn't want any of you to perish and to punish yourself in hell, in the torments of hell. This goes back to the classic scripture. How many of you guys have ever heard the verse John 3, 16? You heard it? Because God talks about this principle right here. He says, for God loved the world so much that he gave his one and his only son so that everyone who believes in him will not what? Perish. Will not perish, meaning will not burn in the eternal flames of hell. Will not perish, but will have what? Eternal life. life. Did you realize that that's God's heart? God's heart is that none of us would perish, or go back to that first verse, would be cursed because of our sin to spend eternity away from God. This sounds more and more like a loving God. This is the loving God we know, guys. This is who he is, even towards hell. So the third thing you need to know about God's heart towards hell is that God's holy. Say God's holy. holy. Okay, God's holy, right? And that means that in the holiness of God, that God cannot withstand or have or put up with the imperfections of man in his presence. So therefore, he sends Jesus to give his life on the cross, to set us free from the penalty of our sins so that we might spend eternity with him in heaven. But for those who choose to not follow the commands of God, for those who choose to not follow and walk in the ways of God, who reject the ways of God, then God says, look, there's no other place for you because in eternity there are two places that I've created. I've created heaven, which was designed for you, mom, dad, young man, young woman, son, daughter, grandmother, grandfather. Heaven was designed for you, but there is no other place for you to spend eternity other than hell because you have rejected my law, you've rejected my ways, you have rejected my savior, you have rejected the walk and the truth that I designed for you to spend eternity with me in heaven. So then therefore God goes on in his word in the book of Revelation chapter 21 verse eight, and he goes, look, here's an example. It's not the laundry list, but it's an example. It's a, it's a short list, it's not an exhaustive list of those who will be in hell. Watch this, Revelation 21 verse eight. It says this, but cowards, 
unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshipers, and all liars. Their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. I want you to notice, pay close attention to this list. It starts with things like this, cowards and unbelievers. It doesn't start with murderers. It doesn't start with the end of the spectrum that man, humanity, has put on sin. It doesn't start there and end there. It's not just that hell is for the most wicked of all wicked, the most evil of all evil. I want you to notice that hell is going to be even for those who are at as simple of a place in their sin as unbelief. I don't believe in you, God. I don't believe in your son, Jesus Christ. So this mind-blowing truth today that I want you to discover is this. God didn't create hell for humans. And I want that to soak in today. Some of you have been following, following God for all of your life, and you've never heard anybody say that. You're, this entire time you thought that hell was created for you, if you are a sinner. That wasn't God's primary mission. And the deception, the conspiracy of hell that's live from the enemy has warped the minds of believers to misplace God's loving, generous heart for one who is looking for us to trip and to fall and disobey him so that he can punish us. It's as if he lords over us waiting for the day to cast those out of his heaven into hell. And I'm telling you today, that's not the loving God that you serve and that we worship. Amen? So if God didn't create hell for humans, how do we get there? We send ourselves there. That's how we get there. We send ourselves there because we refuse the truth and we refuse to live the life that honors God. That's how we get there. So this conspiracy, the conspiracy of hell has been a lie from Satan himself to do one massive thing. Watch this. The conspiracy of hell, this lie from the enemy is to do one incredible thing. Watch what he's wanting to do. He's wanting to populate hell to rip at the very loving heart of God towards his creation because it breaks the very heart of God to see any man or woman any young man or any young woman choose the road of hell that was never created for them when they could have chosen life, eternal life with God in heaven. Hell, the, the, the lie from the enemy is to rip at the very heart of God, is to attack the very heart of God, which is the scheme of the enemy over and over and over again, to rip at the very heart of God towards the love that he has for his creation. I'm convinced by scripture that it breaks, it wounds the very heart of God every time a man or a woman chooses hell that was never created for them over heaven that was purposefully created for them. And Satan, it seems as if he is currently winning at this conspiracy battle. Seems that the world in which we live in, more people are choosing the conspiracy of hell that either A, it doesn't exist, or B, it's a party, or God would never send anybody there. If people only knew the truth, if people only knew that it really existed, if people only really knew how bad it really was, I'm convinced that nobody would choose that path. So Satan's winning at this conspiracy war right now. The time in you in which you and me sit here today, he's winning at spreading that, that 
that vicious, vile venom into the very lives of humanity right now. So what is it then, since he's winning this conspiracy battle, what is it that every Christ follower should be doing? What is the mission of every Christ follower? Let me tell you what the mission is. Just a couple of simple things, right? First thing is this, you got to secure your place in heaven. If you don't secure your place in heaven, how in the world do you help anyone else? It's like if, if you're drowning and someone else is drowning, how does a drowning person save another drowning person? You can't do it. you got to punch your ticket for heaven. Have you guys watch old Western movies? Anybody watch old Western movies? You guys, are they, like the train scenes? The train scenes are the best in my book, okay? Because nothing good happens on the train scene. <laughs> never, never. It's either going to get robbed right? Or there's like something's going to go down. And so here comes the conductor. The innocent conductor's always caught in the middle, right? Wearing the weird hat, coming down the train, you know, aisle. And what is the conductor saying? Tickets, please. Tickets, please. Everybody's pulling out their ticket. They're showing their ticket that I paid to be on this train because if you didn't pay to be on that train, what do you think they did to you? They threw you off. That's right. While it was moving, possibly, but at least at the next stop, you were getting off. So if you didn't need to be off at the next stop, right, it's not going to work to your advantage. Now, if you did, wow, pretty good, scheming the system. Tickets, please. You pull out your ticket. He takes the ticket. He looks at it to make sure that it was something that's accurate. It was of the, of the right date. And then what did he do with the ticket? Punched it. Gave you the ticket back. This is who we need to be. We need to be people that are punching our ticket to heaven, meaning that we're going all in. We're living to honor God, and we're not turning back. And there is no reason to turn back. I'm on this ride. I'm going for it. Yeah, I'm going to make mistakes, but I'm going to get back up, and I'm going to keep running after God because I punched my ticket. I'm all in. I'm securing my place in heaven by saying, Jesus, I love you. I want to obey you, and now I'm going to follow you all the days of my life. It's not a one-time decision. It's a daily decision that I'm all in. I'm punching my ticket again today. It's when temptation comes. I've already punched my ticket, right? It's when I'm tempted to, to get off course and to avoid heaven and to strive after hell. I've already punched my ticket for heaven, and I'm going to make the choice to honor God. In a modern-day example, it would be like boarding an airplane, okay? And people are still flying, by the way. I just made a flight to Memphis this week and came back. My plane was packed out. I think there was maybe just a couple of open seats on this massive two-aisle, you know, like four, five, six, seven, eight, eight seats across. Packed out. Everyone's wearing face masks, right? You get on there, you kind of want a hazmat suit. You want one of those things with the big canisters on it or something. People are still flying today. I want you to think about it. It's more like hopping on an airplane, finding your seat, sitting down, strapping in, and then that all-important moment where the door closes, they push off out of the gate, they taxi to the runway, and then they take off. You're all in for that flight, by the way. You're not getting off that flight. When they, you get off that flight, it's when it lands prayerfully where it's supposed to land. Unless you've caused some kind of scene, and then they have to divert, and then you're in big trouble. So we're just assuming that you're going to be normal. It's like that, guys. We've got to punch our ticket. We've got to go all in. We, gotta, we get in, and we're going, look, there's no way we're getting out. See, every, the journey of a Christ follower is to go all in with Christ and then to continue to carve away at our lives the very things that would keep us from honoring God. This is what Jesus told us to do. 
Jesus said this in Matthew, or excuse me, in Mark chapter 9 about this issue. Take a look at what he said. He said, look, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter eternal life with only one hand than to go into the unquenchable fires of hell with two hands. He goes, look, if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter eternal life with only one foot than to be thrown into hell with two feet. And then he goes on, he says this, and if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out, as disgusting as that is. It's better to enter the kingdom of God with only one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell, where the maggots never die and the fire never goes out. Now look, Jesus isn't suggesting that you go home today and you physically gouge out an eye. So please, just know that right now. Nobody do that. Don't send a a selfie. Don't put it on Instagram. It's disgusting. That's not what Jesus was suggesting either. But Jesus is asking that each of us would aggressively, aggressively cut off relationships, actions, habits, and lifestyles that are producing sin that's keeping us from from achieving his goal for our life, which is eternity with him in heaven. So Jesus says, look, get aggressive at these things. Go after it in your life. Secure your place with me. Right Now look, we're not saved by works. I get that, but Jesus is definitely saying to us, there is a part we play. That we get aggressive at this. That we, we seek after righteousness, meaning living right in God's eyes. And that's what Pastor Dave tried to help us understand last week when he talked about the conspiracy of sin. So although... Although in our lives, we will never be free from sin completely. Sin keeps chomping at my heels all the time. Does it happen for you as well? Sin keeps wanting to find its old home inside of my heart. Does it happen that way for you as well? Yes. Does it seem as if when we conquered one sin and that temptation drifts into the, drifts into the, uh, the, the foreground, that there is now a new one that rises its head for our lives? Yes, that's the journey of the believer. And Jesus is going, look, that's never going to stop. So here's what I want you to do. Get aggressive at it. Don't don't allow sin to live in your life. Right? Don't put up with it. Don't justify it. Don't rationalize it away. Jesus basically said, do anything and everything within your power to cut it off and to remove it. But I want to tell you something very, very important in light of the conspiracy of hell. Okay? Because one of the lies of the conspiracy of hell that the enemy tries to put into our our life is that he gets us looking at hell more than we're looking at heaven. We cut off sin in our lives to honor God, not to keep ourselves from hell. Please get that straight. You don't get that straight, you're chasing your tail in, in in this life of trying to honor God, right? Like, you, you, don't cut, you don't cut off sin to save yourself from hell. We cut off sin to honor a loving God who has created heaven for us. Guys, you win at the race of life when you're running with your eyes on the prize, which is heaven. Too many Christians are running, like, away from hell backwards trying to get to heaven, and they're falling flat on the back of their head all the time. And they're wondering why they feel so defeated, because you're trying to run the race of life Staring at hell like, ah, i got to get away from that. Why? Because most likely you're trying to live too close to it. The freedom of the believer, the freedom of the believer is how do we separate ourselves, set ourselves apart from 
the old life and walk in the new life. It's a lot easier when you're walking in the new life, separating yourself from the old, to get your eyes firmly focused on Jesus, the prize, and start living your life running after him. That's what God wants us to do. So hell shouldn't ever be the believer's motivation to love God. I'm afraid that for some of you, the engine of motivation is I love God because of hell. Guys, it should never be that way. It should, be this, it should be this way, that we love God because of the sacrifice that he made for us. We don't love God because of the punishment. We love God because of the sacrifice that he made for us. Oh, I get it. There should be a fear, a reverent fear of God. Why? Because if we choose not to obey him, God's left with only one choice. I didn't know you. You've chosen hell. I created heaven for you. Stop looking the wrong direction and start looking the right direction in our lives. Let's get our eyes on Jesus. He's already conquered hell, by the way. So what should hell be for the believer? Hell should be a motivation, okay? But here's the motivation. A motivation for a Christ follower to do everything within our power to make sure our neighbors and our friends know who Jesus is. And that means that for the believer, we should enter hell, okay? We should enter heaven, excuse me, wearing clothes filled with the smoke of hell, Now let that sink in for a moment. Let's leave that up here for a minute. Enter heaven wearing clothes filled with the smoke of hell. Let me tell you what I'm not saying. I'm not saying live your your spiritual journey, right, as close to hell as you can and save yourself for, for heaven. What I am saying is this, that every believer should be standing at the gates of hell, blockading it, trying to keep every person that you love from entering it. Every person that you love from buying the lie and finding their eternity in hell. Every believer should be doing that. And there's only one way that your clothes can smell like the smoke of hell when you enter heaven. And that's if you're standing close to the fire enough that you're going, you, nobody's going to enter this. I'm going to do everything I can. And the back of your clothing has got the, the, the singe of the flames of hell because you're trying to keep everybody from going there. This is where you're going to find Jesus, by the way. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, look at what he says. It says, look, I stand at the door of what? Your heart, and I knock. I stand at the door and I knock. If you hear my voice and you open the door, I will come in. That's a beautiful picture. All right, so think about it from a seeker and a, and a, and a person that's a non-believer. Okay, think of that from their perspective. If this is hell, and there is, here's the unbeliever on their way towards hell, where does Jesus say, I'm standing? I'm standing in front of you. I'm knocking on the door of your heart. If you'll open the door, I want to come in. What's on the backside of Jesus then? Jesus is standing between the unbeliever and hell. That's where you're going to find Jesus every single time, standing right there, like the Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Rings. You guys remember those old movies? Gandalf the Grey or the Great or whatever he was called. And it's in this incredible battle scene and they're running from this huge demon Right, and they have to cross this very narrow bridge with this very like deep chasm, like like the pit of no return. And the and all of you, all of the, the 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 warriors they get across the bridge, and then Gandalf the Grey he stops there, right? And he pulls up his staff and he shoves it into the ground and he says to the demon, "You shall not pass." I love that scene. I love that scene. And the bridge collapses, 
and the demon falls in. Oh, man. I mean, if you don't like that, you're not American. <laughs> or human, one of the two. But it's a beautiful picture of Jesus standing between humanity and hell. And he's doing everything he can to say to you, don't pass. Don't pass here. So if that's where you're going to find Jesus, standing between humanity and hell, going, I paid the price for you. Where do you think Jesus wants his church to be? The church, the capital C church, is designed to be a roadblock for people that are on the highway to hell right now. And New Life Church is a church that's designed to make it hard for people to find hell. That's who we are, guys. I mean, think of it this way. Like, what if your neighbor's house was on fire? How urgent would you be to go rescue them and save them? You would be, I mean, you would go crazy. I mean, you would do anything you could. I mean, if it was just like, I can only call 911. But if you could run into that house, I guarantee you some of you would do that. Many of you would do that. What if your own house was on fire? Grandma, grandpa, right? Stairs might be difficult for you. Hips might be getting a little old. Knees might be, might be you know, coming a little weaker. But if you had to climb those steps to rescue your grandchild, you would do it in a heartbeat. Flames licking at your legs, you would do it. And if we would give our life to rescue a person from the temporary flames that would burn down a house on this earth, how much more should we try to rescue a person who might be condemning themselves to the eternal flames of hell? An urgency. There's got to be an urgency in our lives again. There has to be an urgency within the church again that we are designed to do everything within our power to keep people from burning in hell, buying off on the conspiracy lie that hell doesn't exist. We got to be urgent in our prayers. We have to be urgent in our invites. We have to be urgent in our invite to say, follow Jesus. We got to be urgent in our invite. Come to my church. I want you to hear the good news about who Jesus is. And today, if this is your first time at New Life Church, I'm here to tell you something that's going to blow your mind away. This message is actually a good news message. One day, Jesus was teaching his disciples. You'll find this story in Luke chapter 16. If you have your version notes, I gave you the whole passage. And he looks at his disciples and he goes, guys, I got a really important lesson to teach you. And so I'm going to tell you a story. Because this story is really about a couple of people. One, there's a rich man, and I'm not going to give you his name. Rich man, and he's got everything. He's got a mansion. He's got, you know, he's got the best chariots. He's got the best food around. He's got the best fortified house. And then there's a man, Lazarus, who has leprosy, and he's begging outside of his gate every single day. And all Lazarus wants to do is just eat the scraps right, that fall from the table of the rich man. And so Lazarus is getting by by eating the scraps and the dogs of the street, Jesus said, they come and they, they mend his wounds by licking on the very open sores of his leprosy. And one day Lazarus dies. And the angels, Jesus says, they carry him to Abraham in heaven. And he is with his father, Abraham, the father of the faith. Lazarus is there reaping the rewards of his faith and his obedience to God. But at the same day, the rich man died. And the rich man 
was buried and his soul went to the place of torment, the place of death. His soul went to hell. And in hell, the rich man looked across from the darkness of hell. He looked across this great chasm and he saw Abraham and he saw Lazarus in this place of beauty and this place of awe. And the rich man yells out to his father Abraham. He says, Abraham, rescue me, rescue me. Send Lazarus over. Put his finger, dip it, into, dip it in water and bring over a drop and put it in my mouth for I am a man in torment. And Lazarus says to him with compassion, I'm sorry, sir, but you see this great chasm and there is no way for me to cross this chasm and there's no way for Lazarus to cross this chasm. Meaning, you chose your path for eternity and Lazarus chose his path for eternity. And then the rich man uttered these words. At least send Lazarus back to earth to my father's house that he might tell my brothers about how horrible and how torment this place is and how hot these fires are that they might avoid it. Church, I'm here today to tell you this. That if Jesus told that story, it debunks the very conspiracy that hell doesn't exist and it establishes it as a place radically different than the place of heaven. And you will only know it when you get there. But our job now is to do what the man in hell asked because we're still on this earth. And that's this, to make sure that every single person that we know hears the truth about who Jesus is, gets their eyes focused on him. We don't have to tell them about necessarily how bad hell is. We just need to tell them about how good Jesus is. And when we tell people about how good Jesus is and we live that out, then I'm telling you, that's what creates a revolution. So I want you to close your eyes with me and I want you to think about this for a moment. What's the condition of your own soul right now? you got to secure your place in heaven. If, you're, if, the, if the condition of your soul isn't in a place that when you pass from this earth that you are like the man Lazarus standing with Jesus in a place of heaven, then you got to get your life right with God right now. Surrender your life to him. Confess your sins to him. Lay down your life before him. Surrender it and say, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and my leader. But secondly, what's the condition of the souls of those that you love? Think with me right now. Who are people right now that if life were to end right now, that you're unsure of where they would spend eternity? And we've got to start urgently praying for them, urgently finding ways to invite them to the feet of Jesus, urgently find ways to invite them to hear the good news of Jesus. They need to hear your story. They need to hear my story. More importantly, they need to hear his story. And we need to be urgent in our prayer for them right now. So with every head bowed and all eyes closed, I want to pray for you. And then we're going to move right into a moment of worship. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. We're thankful that you you didn't design hell for us. But yet there is no other place for us in eternity. You designed heaven for us. That if we reject you, there is no other course. And so basically we send ourselves there. But Lord, that that was never your hope. That was never your desire. And so God, I ask you, I ask you in Jesus' name that you would put inside of us the same, the same burning desire that you have, Jesus, that none would perish, but all would have eternal life with you. You would put that inside of us, that urgency that none would perish, that would, that would burn 
inside of us with an urgency that would cause us to go out and pray for people, go out and invite people, go out and point people to Jesus. It would cause us to live our lives pointing our face towards heaven and not trying to find our way to heaven, trying to keep our face towards hell. Lord, you are the good news. We love you. You are the best news. Lord, as we keep our face turned towards Jesus, hope fills my heart, not despair. Joy fills my heart, not sorrow. And may that be the same truth for those that are in our world today. In in central and western Nebraska, may people find Jesus and may their lives be changed forever. May none shall pass. None shall pass. Let the church and its believers be a roadblock, making it hard for people to find hell and populating heaven. I pray that in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.